Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Hey, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I want to steal this stand. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake Mudrizo. I'm the executive director here at Transit Church. And uh, tell me this. You get an extra hour of sleep. How do you feel worse? Anyone, anyone with me this morning? My goodness. I, uh, yeah, not feeling great. But we have exciting news. Pastor uh, Nick's wife is currently at the hospital. Hopefully, in the next couple hours, their uh, baby boy will be here. So uh, we're going to pray for them in a minute. But super exciting news. I'm very thankful it wasn't last week and I didn't have to step in and preach. So uh, praise the Lord. We are going to be studying uh, Jonah. Uh, I want to say Ephesians. But we are in the book of Jonah, the first chapter. You can turn there now in your Bibles. I know that some of you are probably new this week. Um, So we're going to read, the the text that we have today is 4 through 6, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. We're going to read 1 through 6, so we can get the whole picture. You can turn there in your Bibles now. And just to recap where we've been, just a quick background. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord living in Israel. He's kind of living the dream. Like the the mission assignment uh, for Jonah in Israel is pretty comfortable. Uh, There's uh, just, the economy is booming, super um, prosperous kind of uh, time to be a prophet in Israel, and, and safety as well. Their borders are expanding. Their, their barbaric neighbors, the Assyrians, aren't a threat at all. So things are good in Israel. And it, uh, the culture, everything there, Israel was um, really above everyone else politically, but not necessarily spiritually. There, uh, due to the economy thriving, uh, it led to a very materialistic culture, and that led to the injustice and oppression of the poor. But instead of God calling Jonah uh, to stay in Israel, he tells him to head northeast to uh, Nineveh. And uh, it wasn't a, a great assignment for a prophet of the Lord at this time, because one, we know, I won't go into detail, Pastor Nick said a little bit uh, when we intro the series jo- through Jonah, of what the Assyrians were like. They were known for their barbaric treatment of captives. Uh, they were known for uh, sinful and evil practices that I won't go into great detail about. So uh, the need for uh, a message of repentance was massive for this, this city in Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. But Jonah is scratching his head because he knows for sure, at a minimum, this means discomfort and most likely, possibly a very painful death. So he thinks about it, the call that God has, go northeast, says, all right, I hear you, Lord, hear you loud and clear, I'm going to go west. Full disobedience of what the Lord is calling him to do. And, And you may think, my goodness, you hear from the Lord, you get an assignment, how could you possibly just be like, okay, I hear you, I'm going the opposite direction. But if you remember for a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nick had that line that hit me, I don't know if it hit you all, but what keeps us from obedience? A couch is more comfortable than a cross. A couch is more comfortable than a cross. And what God is calling Jonah to is definitely discomfort, definitely discomfort. So if you're taking notes this morning, our three main points will be this. Number one, the consequences of sin. Number two, the purpose of his discipline. The purpose of his discipline. And number three, his mission of restoration. 
his mission of restoration. Jonah 1, 1 through 6, I'm reading through the ESV. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. (laughs) But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the ability to gather in your house this morning, Lord. Once again, you've given us life. You've given us air in our lungs, Lord. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given us, Lord. Help us to live on mission and on uh, purpose, Lord, uh, for your kingdom, your glory. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, just reveal your word to us this morning, that I would get out of the way, and and Jesus, you would be magnified, you would be lifted high, and you would get your glory, Lord, that you uh, deserve and earned uh, through the cross, Lord. So we surrender this morning to you, and we also just pray for uh, Jen this morning, that, Lord, it would be a smooth labor and delivery, and we pray for a healthy baby boy. We thank you, Father, for the gift of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Point number one, the consequences of sin. Look at verse five. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So what do we know? Jonah is clearly, as we've already talked about, he is running from God. He is uh, boarding this ship. The Lord wants him to preach a message of turning from evil, of repentance and, and hope to the Assyrian people. And Jonah is like, no, nah, I, I about that. I'm not going that way. He is outside the will of God and therefore living in sin. And Jonah very well could say, Lord, I'm not living some reckless, crazy life. I, I actually am like having great quiet times on this boat. I'm, I'm drinking the strawberry daiquiris that the sailors are making. Like, I, do you know everything I have done for you? Like, every, everything you've told me to do, I've served you, Lord. Kind of justifying his own sinful disobedience. I don't know if anyone else has been there, but I have of justifying your disobedience. Uh, and remember, Pastor Nick asked this question, is we get in trouble. What do, what do we think God owes us? We get in trouble when we start thinking God owes us something. We have gospel amnesia, and we forget that everything we have been given, everything we have, the hope that we have, we have not earned. We have not earned. It's all through Jesus Christ. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for us but we have not earned it. And when we see you know, Jonah's sin was one of non-action. And what I mean by that is, like I already said, he's not going every weekend and drinking it up, partying it with the boys and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He's just saying, Lord, I'm, not, I'm just not doing what you wanted me to do. I'm just not going to do that assignment. And that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Look at James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And how do we know 
what to do. Like, I, I didn't wake up this morning and the Lord didn't give me a message and instructions of what to do exactly. How do we know what to do? And I think we're all on the same page. We can answer this question, but I'll say it by watching Dr. Phil. We know what, what not to do. No, not, not at all. We have God's word. We have his scriptures. The, the word of God is our foundation. It is our compass. The scriptures are 100% uh, sufficient for us as believers to walk and obey him. We know what he has said, what he has revealed to us, and uh, we know the standard set by the Father. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand that and apply it to our lives. So when we sin, you know, the standard that God has set, we, when we sin, plain speaking here, we miss the mark. We miss the standard that God has, has called us to, to do. Um, and you may think, well, that's not really fair. What about what I want to do? I have, I have kind of biological urges or drives to these things. It's not fair. What about what I want to do? Look at this quote from uh, his book, Crazy Love. Francis Chan says this, God is the only being who is good, and the standards are set by him. Because God hates sin, he has to punish those guilty of sin. Maybe that's not an appealing standard, but to put it bluntly, when you get your own universe, you can make your own standards. It's a little harsh, but you, you get the, the idea of, we don't see the whole picture. God says in Isaiah that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We just have a limited perspective. And the audacity of Jonah to say, nah, I know the right move. I'm going to go and do this is crazy when we read it, but how often do we do that in our daily lives? We turn from the standard set that the Lord has given us. We need to trust his standards and not our own. Even if we can't truly see what the Lord is doing, we trust that he has a good plan. And as we examine Jonah's situation, we look back to the theologian, Dr. Phil, and use this classic question, how's that working for you? Anyone hear that question before? I'm like, how's that working for you? You're, these are the decisions you're making. Is that working well for you? Um, and I'm also just going for like the record of Dr. Phil references in a sermon, which I think I've blown past. Um, I know my seminary professors would be so happy right now. Um, <clears throat> but Jonah is asleep in the midst of chaos, crying, all sorts of ridiculous things happening. Uh, I just want you to picture the, the, what is happening on this boat. You have grown men, sailors, who are experienced. There's no way this is their first storm that they've been through, and they are crying out to their gods for, for them to be saved. They're throwing stuff overboard. They, they are losing their minds. There's probably water coming down the stairs where Jonah is sleeping. Like, I can't imagine there's not water at the bottom of the boat where he's sleeping. Anyone ever get in a canoe and there's like a little extra water in there and you start to panic a little bit? Just me. <laughs> All right, just me. Uh, that doesn't scare me. Um, and I know my man wasn't wearing a seatbelt. You got to imagine, he's getting tossed all over the place. Tossed all over the place. And he's still asleep. He's still asleep. Lord, help me to sleep that well. If only I could sleep through that. But how could he be asleep during this? During everything going on. And that's what I believe one of the many things sin does is it lulls us to sleep. It blinds us to the reality of the situation that we are in, saying, it's not really that big of a deal, it's okay, I'm just going to sleep this off. I believe that is exactly what has happened here. We get desensitized. What is disdainful to the Lord 
we are okay with. What is disdainful to the Lord, we are okay with. And a simple application point, uh, if, if you're feeling any kind of Holy Spirit conviction of maybe a, a show or a podcast or a book you're reading through, whatever it may be, or a social media platform, whatever it is, and holding it up to the standard of God's Word, what He has clearly given us, does it pass the test? If we can hold this show up to the Word of God and feel okay that God is okay with this, that's the test. And I know when I've done that, most times uh, that fails. Uh, what I'm watching, I have to turn from and repent of. I was, I've shared this in a sermon before, so I won't go into too much depth, but uh, I enjoyed a couple shows that were, I thought, totally fine. They were hilarious. But uh, what I was laughing at was actually the very thing that Jesus had to die for. I was laughing at sin. I was laughing at crude jokes, all sorts of different things. So the reality of, like, man, we need to wake up. Like, I had to wake up to the reality of I am laughing at what Jesus had to go to the cross for. I know that's heavy, but that, that's the call to, to wake up. And another consequence uh, of sin is that it separates us from God. Not eternal separation, but it acts as a barrier between us and his perfect presence. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. And right when you're, you're thinking or maybe nudging your neighbor, if like, man, at least we aren't like Jonah. Look at Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all fall short of the standard. I know that, that can be a, a heavy thing, but listen, we have so much hope because it's not on us, it's on Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is everything for us when we fall short. And I'll unpack that a little uh, towards the end. But we fall short of the standard. Jesus is our hope. And uh, the next thing and last thing I'm going to look at with sin is it doesn't just affect us. It, it reaches out to everyone around us. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. You see how sin builds off of itself? That Jonah's personal disobedience is now affecting every single person on the ship. They are hurling cargo overboard, probably you know, losing their property, probably a sources of income for them. They're losing it all because of one man's disobedience. Sin affects everyone around us. And when we have that thought creep in of, well, it's just between the Lord and I, like what I'm doing, it's, it's only going to affect me, if anything, um, but surely it won't affect anyone else. Desire and God uh, has an article on the effects of sin, and this is one of the quotes. One of the most treacherous lies we can believe about sin, especially sin we consider private or secret, is that we can keep its consequences to ourselves. That we will be the only ones, if anyone, affected. We rarely consider how our sin inevitably influences others in one way or another. Like anyone does, we recently had some mold in our, our shower on the tile and, and a little bit on the ceiling. Uh, Sammy didn't want me to say, don't say it's on the ceiling, too. You know, like, no, we actually do clean, but it got out of hand, okay? Uh, <clears throat> and see, mold spreads so fast, and we haven't been living at this place for that long. It's pretty impressive how fast this mold spreads. And the thing with mold is you have to supply what it needs for it to grow. It needs more moisture. It needs more darkness. It needs a little humidity. 
and, and it, it spreads like crazy. So that little speck that you had in the corner of the shower, we're like, no one else is seeing this. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Is then on your ceiling and on all of your tile. And that is what, <laughs> not all the tiles. I mean, <laughs> there's like, no, it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And that is sin. That is, sin. that is the goal of sin, this little thing uh, unchecked, and it spreads. And next thing you know, your whole family is feeling the consequences of breathing in that moldy air. You've got to pour some holy bleach on that thing and wage war against your, that sin. That is it. And my encouragement this morning would be, what's one way to uh, not have the mold spread? What's one way that um, the Lord can assist us in this struggle we have our men's Bible study every other Wednesday. We meet here at the church, go through the text that's going to be preached uh, the, the coming Sunday. And on the off weeks, we have cohorts. We have smaller groups built for just accountability, discipleship, bearing each other's burdens to, to walk alongside each other and, and help each other. We need accountability. We have to walk through uh, this. We're, we're told throughout the Bible to have that. Um, so if you're interested, if you don't have accountability, uh, please reach out to me or any of the other leaders here. We'd love to get you plugged in. Um, and ladies, the, the women's Bible study, apparently you guys have prayer partners now. It's amazing. So there, there are opportunities everywhere for, for the women. You have a prayer partner. You can share. You can bear your burdens with the other person and pray for each other. That's amazing. So there, if you feel like you're in the dark in any way, there's an invitation this morning that you can walk in the light before you even leave here. Okay. We want you to walk in the light with accountability with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we move on to our next point. Point number two, the purpose of his discipline. The purpose of his discipline. So we see that Jonah is in unrepentant sin. He's not turning from his actions. He is pressing on without any seemingly problem uh, in his mind with what he's doing. And what does God do? He brings a storm. God brings a storm. Look at uh, verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The word hurled means to cast or throw, like somebody throwing a spear. So the Lord actually brought this storm about. So there's a purpose in this storm, and the purpose is, one, discipline, but also for uh, Jonah to hear from the Lord, and everyone around Jonah to hear from the Lord. God can bring storms to bring his children back into his will when we have strayed. And I say that because I have actually experienced this. Um, a couple of years ago, when I was on the police department, there was about a two-year period where I was feeling the call into ministry. And uh, I was wrestling with it a little bit, but I was like, okay, you know, we'll pray about it. My wife and I prayed about it. And I'm like, we kind of need confirmation for this because it's kind of a big deal. We pray about it for a while, and the Lord, there comes a time, the Lord confirms it. He makes it abundantly clear that the time is now to go into ministry, leave my job. And uh, you know what I said? I said, I'm going to go buy a ticket to Tarshish. I'm out of here. I'm not doing it. Lord, I said no. I said no. There was an invitation before me, and I, I said, yeah, no, I can't do it. Even though I knew, even when I told this person no, I knew in my heart, man, I'm being disobedient right now. And I said no. The Lord and my wife, Sammy, are witnesses to what happened next. The, from the moment I said no, for a two-week stretch, talk about chaos in our lives. Absolute chaos. And I, like spiritual oppression, I felt. I've never felt anything like it in my life. And after about two weeks, uh, my wife and I are sitting on the couch, looking at each other like shell-shocked. It's like, what 
what is going on right now? What is happening? And the Lord was so gracious to reveal that we were woefully outside of his will. We were disobedient. And my disobedience wasn't just affecting me, it was affecting our whole house. My kids were feeling the effects of this. And that is sin. And uh, I'm so thankful he allowed us to walk through, you know, two weeks of a dark time to see the light of walking with him in obedience. Walking out of his will is a scary place to be. Look at Hebrews 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. His discipline is laced with compassion. You may think that God bringing this storm or allowing us to experience uh, some, some chaos in our lives was judgment. I believe it's the mercy of God to uh, bring this storm because if you think about it, if, when Jonah says, all right, I'm out, I'm leaving, if I were God, I'm like, all right, see you later. I don't need you. I can raise somebody else up. Do you know who I am? I don't need you. That's a beautiful thing is God doesn't need us, but man, he wants us. He delights in us. He loves us. And he doesn't want to see us stray or walk away from him because he knows what that leads to. He knows what that leads to. It's the mercy of the Father to not let us run from him. He pursues us in our wandering. Look at Luke 15. Jesus tells him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Praise God he does not give up on us. Praise God he doesn't give up on us. He rejoices when we turn from our ways. So if you're here this morning and feel like you've been wandering in sin, you've turned from the Lord, let the the good shepherd carry you back. He rejoices when we surrender to him and say, I'm done doing it my way. I'm handing it over to you. Let him carry you back. There's nothing better that you can do with your life than turn back to him. Turn from sin, turn to your shepherd. And point number three is his mission, the shepherd's mission of restoration. So this affection, this pursuit of the shepherd that we first have experienced in our wandering, that we don't deserve a bit of, yet he has poured out his grace upon us. This grace that we first have received should lead us to the lost. The other people who are lost, harassed, without a shepherd, we shouldn't be um, trying to shove the gospel down people's throats, but out of love and mercy, wanting people to know the, the hope that we have for all of eternity. We can't be asleep to, to what we have been given. And we see the need around Jonah. I mean, the, all the hope that Jonah has should actually lead him to the sailors around him, but it doesn't. See, the pagan sailors are absolutely lost, hurling cargo overboard, crying out to their gods. But as they cry out to their gods, nothing is changing. The only one with a solution on the boat. The only one with hope to give is asleep. The only one with hope to give is asleep. Get ready for this Tim Keller quote. Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow citizens. He's not telling them how to get a personal relationship with the God of the universe, nor is he relying on his own spiritual resources in God. 
simply loving and serving the practical needs of his neighbors. God commands all believers to do both things, but he is doing neither. His private faith is of no public good. His private faith is of no public good. That is the call to us this morning, is for our private faith to be of public good. Are we meeting the needs in the community? Are we giving hope to the hopeless? There is a a mission laid before us through the Word of God. And this week, I think it was Wednesday night, my daughter, Mila, who's six, was uh, a little frustrated about something, and I was tucking her in to go to sleep, and she asked me this question. She says, Papa, how come you get to watch TV on school nights, but not me? (laughs) And I had a very well-thought-out and mature response. And I said, because I'm an adult and I can do what I want. <laughs> this is literally my response. Give grace. I think this was one of the nights where it was just zero in the tank for parenting. I was, I was gassed out. I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. And without hesitation, she responds, you can't do whatever you want. Jesus has work for you to do. Wow. <laughs> one, I was like, thank you, Lord. This is great for my sermon. But <clears throat> two, I mean... No, you can't do whatever you want. Jesus has work for us to do. How do you respond to that response? No, really, how do you respond? She's still waiting for a response. (laughs) Uh, Just get up and walk out of that one. My goodness. Look at Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, how much joy does it bring the enemy when all the workers are asleep? We can't be asleep. We have to wake up to the need around us. And it's not a, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I'm just feeling super convicted myself of that this week as I've walked through this text. Man, the only one with hope on the boat is asleep. The only one. And where in my life am I sleeping to the need around me? And that's between you and the Lord. I know he's revealed that to me this week. But uh, I want to share this Spurgeon quote. Jonah was asleep amid all that confusion and noise. And, oh, Christian man, for you to be indifferent to all that is going on in such a world as this, for you to be negligent of God's work in such a time as this, just as strange. The devil alone is making noise enough to wake all the Jonas if they only want to awake. All around us there's tumult and storm, yet some professing Christians are able, like Jonah, to go to sleep in the sides of the ship. There are people lost, harassed, and without a shepherd, and we have been given the good shepherd. We have been given hope for all of eternity. We have to, and it has to drive us forth to, and, and that may just look like something as simple as praying for one of your coworkers on the way into work instead of listening to that podcast. Just a five-minute chunk. Some, something, but if, if every day we're consumed and just, you know, I'm an adult and I do what I want to do. I'm just going to watch Netflix tonight. Uh, and there's nothing sinful outright about watching Netflix. You can rest. Uh, the Lord wants you to rest. But if we're constantly consuming things and numbing and lulling ourselves to sleep of the need around us, that's a problem. That's a, that's a problem. Lives are at stake. There's a, there's a harvest for us to go work in. And, and we're going to wrap up with this. In the Bible, we see that 
The sea generally represents chaos and confusion, and there's no difference here in the book of Jonah. We see chaos and confusion. People are screaming, throwing stuff overboard, crying out to their, their gods to save their lives. And, and when you think about this, man, people are in the midst of the storm. They're on a boat. They're crying out for help, and somebody's asleep in the boat. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Uh, Matthew 8, um, and band, you can come on up. Matthew 8 uh, says this, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What a stark difference in seemingly very similar scenes. And the reality is Jonah had a message of hope. Jesus is the message of hope. Catch that? Jesus is the message of hope. We can't miss Jesus in this story of Jonah. He's the embodiment uh, of hope that we have been given. He willingly went to the cross for us, that paid the fare, paid our sin debt that we could never pay so that we could have eternity in his glorious presence and have hope and a firm foundation. Before Jesus and his grace moved in our lives, our, the fragility of our lives was no different than these pagan sailors. What we have received from Jesus should drive us first. Nothing we have earned. And he's the only one who has control over the wind and waves. As we see all around us today, you can turn on the news for five seconds and see that storms are raging. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. And, and we don't need a bigger boat. We need bigger faith in Jesus. We need bigger faith in Jesus that he is the only one that can calm the storms in your life. He is the only one that can bring restoration to brokenness, hope to the hopeless. He is the only one. He's the only one. So if you're here this morning and, and you've been wandering or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, there's an invitation this morning for you to surrender to the Good Shepherd. There's no better decision you can make with your life he is the only one who will give you hope. He's the only one that can deliver us from the storms of our life. We have been given a firm foundation, and we didn't build it. Jesus paid for it. So we're going to transfer over and take communion now. If you uh, are a believer and good standing with your church, we encourage you to take communion with us. There are communion elements right in the lobby there. Uh, I'm going to let you take communion on your own time. We have a decent amount of time now to just respond uh, to the Lord. And, and I would encourage you to do this. I'd encourage you to ask the Lord where in your life you're, you're Jonah. Where in your life are you wandering from him? Where are you being disobedient? Before you take communion, before you confess your sins to the Father, ask him, Lord, would you reveal my heart? Where's my heart hard? Where's my heart apathetic to the need around me? I know all of us have a lot going on. This isn't condemnation, but an invitation to partner with Jesus in what he's doing in his harvest. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, close with two songs and a benediction. Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, where would we be apart from you? Right now, where would we be apart from you in our lives, Lord? We thank you for your grace, the hope that you have given us. What a shepherd. What a friend. Lord, would you give us hearts for the lost 
would we have your heart when you looked upon the crowds and had mercy and compassion on them because they were lost, harassed, and without a shepherd. Would you give us that heart, Lord? As we look out in the chaos and confusion, would we have mercy and compassion and would the love of Jesus drive us forward to those who are lost? Lord, we thank you for um, this house. This is your house, Lord. We surrender everything to you. We thank you, Lord.